spread the fire. Welcome back to SMWX. And if you're new around here, my name is Dr. Sizwe Mpofu-Walsh. On this channel, SMWX, the Sizwe Mpofu-Walsh experience, we explore South African politics through interviews and analysis. And today I'm really excited to bring you one of our regular and most popular guests, Ukoko Aubrey Machikri. As we come together to dissect, analyze and explore the recent uprisings and unrest across South Africa, the problems of South Africa's public discourse and how it silences the very voices it should be uplifting, and many, many more questions. Hope you enjoy. This interview will be broken into two parts, so make sure you catch both parts. Aye. The Sizwe Mbofu Welsh Experience Podcast. Aye. I've seen very interesting things that I've never seen before up close because my father's representing President Zuma. Um, so I've seen some of the abuse that comes to me and to him um, for his decision to provide the constitutional right of legal representation, even for someone which he has publicly disagreed with. Um, and I've been quite startled at the amount of abuse um, not directed to President Zuma, directed to me or to him for choosing to represent him legally, which is a constitutional right. Um, and Lord knows I have criticized former President Zuma. Um, I'm not a fan of his tenure. I'm not a fan of his brand of political leadership. And uh, I've written ad nauseum about my problems with Zuma and the Zuma regime and the Zuma era. But at what cost do we, do we persist with this constant focus on the old war while we leave those who actually hold power today aside from our scrutiny? And, and, and so I look at a, a president who has somehow now got the, the power to stand up in front of the nation, deliver a one-way address via the state broadcaster that he's deploying soldiers into the streets and nobody says a thing. Isn't that too much power for, for a constitutional state founded on accountability? And the reason he can do that is because he tells people that he's winning the old war. And at what cost do we allow the new war to be to distract us from the old war? Um, what I'm learning is that uh, the past is unpredictable. And in fact, um, what will then happen is that we will, in order to impose a particular narrative go to this unpredictable past to borrow from it mm. those elements that are both convenient and will help us impose what we seek uh, to turn into a dominant narrative. The, 
the second thing for me is that the reason why we are not worried about the president announcing that he is sending soldiers um, is the single story of what South Africa is that I referred to earlier. So the sending of the soldiers is part of that story. So the soldiers are sent to defend that story. And people are going to respond with anger to what I'm saying because there is a need to defend that story. And there is a need to impose this single story. Uh, I, I'm not surprised to be that uh, you and your father have been subjected to attacks because your father represents former president Jacob Zuma. For me, this has become a familiar theme because as you know, Moses Kakane is my friend. Mm. And therefore I am privy to what he himself was and continues to be subjected to because he represents Jacob Zuma. And by mm. the way, um, you have lawyers, and in this case, I would say white lawyers, because to say white lawyers is important. Absolutely. Because there are white lawyers who have represented Zuma in the past. You have never come under the kind of attack your father and Moses Kakane have experienced. Absolutely. Let alone their families. Yes, exactly. So you have lawyers in this country white lawyers who have represented pedophiles um, and are reprobates. And they've now come under this kind of attack. Mm. And I ask myself why? Jacob Zuma is not just this man, a former president of the country, the architect of state capture, and corruption. Jacob Zuma is a media through which some of these sentiments I've echoed mm. are transmitted. Mm. He is a medium through which we transmit our desires, our wishes, our political preferences, our leadership preferences, and he is a medium through which we transmit our understanding of what should be a civilized and constitutional order. Mm. Both in his defense and both and in opposition to him. So in his defense and in opposition to him, we transmit these preferences, desires, and so on. And partly this is why millions of South Africa stopped whatever they were doing the day he was arrested or surrendered, depending on which narrative you believe. We, we stopped what we, we were doing in our millions because what we were there for is a public lynching of this media. So it doesn't matter what you think of him, whether you love him or hate him. 
for me, it doesn't take away from the fact that we were there to be witnesses to this public lynching, especially for those of us who have a strong antipathy towards him, justified and not. This was a public lynching. There will be more public lynchings in future. And what your father and Moses Kakana went through is part of that. Those are public lynchings on Twitter and elsewhere. Mm. Voices that do not parrot the dominant narratives will be lynched. What I fear is that what I see, what I am shown is that the lynchings will not always be figurative, will not always happen on social media, but the day will come when the corpses of those who dare to challenge the dominant narrative as it happens as it happened in Honduras, will be in full display in the streets of the country so that the message is sent that this is what happens to those who dare to challenge our narrative. Firstly, the dominant narrative. And secondly, the counter narratives. So the purveyors of both the counter narrative and the dominant narrative narratives that do not occupy the middle ground will engage in this form of public lynching. This is what I am being shown. And I therefore want to say to South Africa that you and I are not just having an intellectual engagement about the content of our public discourse. The content of our public discourse has implications beyond the squeezing out of alternative thought. It has implications because as I say, the day will come when those who dare to challenge certain narratives will be displayed for the country to see in the form of dead bodies with the message being, this is what happens to those who differ. But before that moment happens, there will be more of what you and your father, Moses Katana, um, have been experiencing. And, and, and this brings me to myself. So allow me a bit of self-indulgence here. Mm -hmm. Sure, sure. So I say to the country, there are four storms coming. Mm, mm. I say the first storm will come from Uganda, the second storm out of the Zulu Royal House, the third one out of the ANC, the conflict in the ANC, and the fourth one will be caused by the hunger of our people. And the four storms will converge and become a perfect storm that will impose a climate of instability at a social, political, and economic level. Mm. And just to People say- uh, there. They don't continue. Yeah. 
Sorry, Coco, just, just to say yeah, yeah, that, no that um, because I think it's worth underscoring, it's easy to say that now, but you, you were saying that 10 days, two weeks ago, and I must confess, even I, who, who take every, everything you say very seriously thought, is this not too much, uh, Gogo? Uh, is this not too much to, to suggest? Um, and goodness me, how wrong, how wrong was I? Um, so I just wanted to say that, that um, when, you, when you say things, um, I listened before, but I listen even more carefully now because I could not believe the four storms coming together before my very eyes. Yes. And, and this, by the way, does not give me joy. I don't celebrate the fact that, as some people say on social media, Goko Majiko are spot on. Mm. It's not about being spot on, because I don't celebrate being spot on. And let me tell you why I don't celebrate. So when mm. I say Togoza to you, mm. I'm saying many things. Amongst other things, what I'm saying is this. I, I am wishing you harmony in your relationship with God. I am wishing you harmony in your relationship with your ancestors. I am wishing you harmony in your relationship with the universe and what lies beyond it. I am wishing you harmony in your relationship with nature. I'm wishing you harmony in your relationship with others. But ultimately, I am wishing you harmony within. And I have the same wish for the world. And I have the same wish for South Africa. And anything that disturbs that harmony causes me pain. And therefore, I am not happy that the things I shared with the country mm. are, are becoming true. I'm also not happy to tell the country, you ain't seen nothing yet. Sure. I am not happy to say that because you ain't seen nothing yet. Mm. The unrest will, will be quelled maybe at some point. It may even get worse before it, it is quelled, mm. but it will be quelled. There is a bigger storm coming after that period of apparent peace and stability. Because we will continue to make choices. We will continue to exercise our free will in a manner that does not render this big storm that is coming avoidable. Mm. And in a manner that does not render it not inevitable. Because what people forget when they attack me on social media is my last sentence. It says, these storms are avoidable. They are not inevitable. They forget that sentence conveniently, you know. Mm. Um, I am saying the same thing now. You ain't seen nothing yet. Beyond the current phase of the storms, 
there's a bigger storm that is coming because of the choices we make, not because God is punishing us, no. It is of our own making, not because our ancestors are punishing us, no. It is because of the choice we, we are making that they are not available, avoidable. Mm -hmm. So when I say to you, there's a bigger storm coming, when I say we're going to have probably one of the biggest funerals ever in future, and we're going to, it will be considered by other funerals. I'm saying that is avoidable. Mm -hmm. But the choices we'll make will make it unavoidable. But we still have, a, we still have a, an opportunity to make choices, to deploy our free will in a way that renders them avoidable. We still, we, we still have that. And so the sadness I feel sometimes is not what you are saying me. I know when you were skeptical, you were, mm. um, your skepticism came from a good place. Mm. Mm. I am saddened by those whose skepticism and attacks come from a very, from a very bad place, a very mm. dark place. Mm. Some are paid to impose a narrative on social media. Mm. And many do so dishonestly when they know what the truth is, but are paid to impose a particular narrative. Mm. But of course, and I don't mean to be insulting here, when I said a lot of learning that happens in society is thoughtless, I'm also saying yeah. that stupidity is a very powerful political force in the whole world. We've seen many examples in the whole world. Mm how certain political actors will deploy stupidity to their advantage. And that is why we, we must be very sad about the fact that alternative voices have been squeezed out mm. of the public discourse because they are squeezed out in part to make space for stupidity as a political weapon. Mm. Mm. And so, when I am shown what is coming, I, I am told this will come only if you make wrong choices as a society, only if those who are leaders make the wrong choice, only if as individuals and groups of individuals who make the wrong choice. So it's not God punishing us. It's not the ancestors punishing us. It's the outcome of the choices we make. Well, Gogo, on that note, um, you're often described as Isangoma, but at the same time, I think the role you play publicly is also that of Imbongi. Um, and given that my grandfather uh, assumed that role in his community, um, I've always been taught that Imbongi don't just Imbongi don't just uh, sing praises or or uh, adorn functions. Not only do they warn, but they also advise. Um, and I wondered, as as we conclude, 
if if you could advise because i've i've heard your your analysis even from the days of the zuma presidency where where you would say and unfortunately on deaf ears this can still be salvaged this is what needs to to happen um what would you say to the head of state but also i suppose other leaders in our, in our country um about how we can arrest this bigger storm which looms on the horizon and also what kinds of decisions could avert such a such a storm from from reaching fruition i will do i will do two things uh Shobi. um i will first make an attempt to answer your question mm-hmm. and you are going to end this conversation in a manner that is different from how we have ended previous conversations. Mm. I will invite you to end the conversation with your own thoughts about what you think should happen going forward. Sure, sure. But let me start here. You know, I don't accept the appellation Sangoma easily. Mm because I am many things. Mm. Mm. And Uma has been reduced to something very small, even by us mm. who are healers. Whereas Ubungoma must be imagined and be seen and be practiced as something much larger than what it has become now. Mm. Mm. I am more than Isangom. Um, a lot of the gifts I have been blessed with mm. fall outside the narrow definition of what Isangoma is. Yeah. But fall within a much larger boundless box. Um the infinite gifts that are available to us from our ancestors and God. And I am blessed with many of those. I am not a political analyst. I answer to that because I don't know what I should be called, but I am not a political analyst. My logic is, is not the logic of, of the political analyst around Uruguay. Mm-hmm. or even the 2012 conference. I am not that political um, analyst anymore. And you are right. I do occupy the position of Imbog. I do occupy the position sometimes of the prophet. So one of the things I say to others is that when they praise me and they say you are spot on, I say it is not completely me. I am guided by God and the ancestors. I am shown, I do not see these things. I am shown before this interview, I need to pray and I say God through the ancestors so that they themselves speak through me. And then I say another thing. I say, 
because I am not a robot of the ancestors. I'm not a robot. I have my own spirit and free will. I have my own thoughts. Not all of them are the thoughts of the ancestors. I ask them to guide their thoughts. And that is why I will not always be spot on because sometimes for whatever reason, I am not listening as I should. Sometimes it's arrogance, sometimes it's the ego, it's many things. I, I then foreground the mind, this limited instrument, important but limited instrument, and yield to the pressure of the ego and forget that even that which comes from my mind must be guided. But when, if you, if you were to put a gun on my head and say, yes, I, I hear you. You say you are many things. You reduce it to one thing. How do you see yourself? I'm nothing more than a teacher. I'm a teacher, nothing else. If you were to press me, I'm a teacher. So, Let me start by saying something that makes me sad. I, I don't say this to disrespect the president mm -hmm. and the ruling party. Sure. I say it out of sadness, and it is this. The past few days I've been talking about Isipogi Sempugani, mm. the ghost of a fly. What am I talking about? I'm talking about this fly that is caught in a spider's web when you look at it, it is intact. The body is intact. What you do not see is that the spider has already hollowed out its insides. So what you are looking at actually is the ghost of the fly. Mm. And the, the president reminds me of that. The ANC reminds me of that. I believe our democracy has, has reached a point where it is itself, is we're looking at what we think is a body that is intact, whereas the spider has hollowed it out. What we call constitutionalism has become that. So when we celebrate this constitution, and therefore we celebrate constitutionalism, we are looking at Ispogi Sempugani, the ghost of the fly. When we speak in pious terms about and a righteous indignation about how the rule of law must be imposed, what we don't realize that what we call the rule of law in South Africa today, Ispogi Sempugani is the ghost of the fly. And so, the first task that is facing us, all of us, is to put back the insides of this fly. That's the first task. Mm. The next task is, we talk a lot about what is wrong with South Africa and in South Africa, but most of it is nothing but a misdiagnosis. And therefore the solutions will not solve the problem. 
And we do this self-serving analysis, which are part of this misdiagnosis. And therefore, we are surprised that 27 years later, with the very same economic policies, we are surprised that we have the same outcomes. We can't make a dent on inequality, on poverty, on unemployment on the feminization of poverty and inequality and so on. We wonder why. So what I would say to the president, those around him and all of us, is that the starting point is to abandon the self-serving analysis is to abandoning the false elite consensus we have about South Africa as a story. We must abandon the false consensus about the economy and what it is able to deliver and what it will deliver. We must abandon the false consensus about our liberal democratic reality because liberal democracy is experienced by millions of people, including millions of South Africans is both a lie and a fraud. And if we're looking for solutions, they are not come from, they're not going to come from what is a fraud and a lie. We must continue to search for the truth and that which is not a fraud. Because there is a reason why there's the word liberal before the word democracy. It's an adjective, alerting to us that what we have chosen is but one, some exist, some do not. And we must, must reach for both outside the liberal democratic option for that which exists and that which we must still create. This does not answer the question of what do we do tomorrow, next week, or next month. And here, all I can do is to call for the president and the ruling party and our political class, civil society, all of us, to enter a moment of courage about the fact that the policy tools that are available to us are a blunt weapon. Even in the short term, we must look at these tools and do something different. For instance, in the midst of this COVID-19 crisis, is it conscionable to think you can ameliorate the conditions of our people by giving them 350 rand a month. If your answer is no, when you're sitting on your own, Mr. President, in your corner, alone at night, minister so-and-so and minister so-and-so, political actor so-and-so and political actor so-and-so, political commentator so-and-so, economic commentator so-and-so, and so on. When you're sitting alone and the answer is, no, then be honest, enter this moment of courage and tell us what is the alternative. Not for 10 years, 
from now but for tomorrow for next week for next month i will say something else i'll say listen to your sister who is your sister it is that voice that never lies even as your mouth policy lies on television and radio the voice reminds you that you are lying and that voice is your sister listen to your sister may i now invite you uh, Fubi, to tell us what you think well uh thanks Coco. that's yeah that's very powerful and important and um my thoughts are similar and I'm, I'm moved to share something I haven't shared yet, which is actually part of um, the work that I've been working on um, for the last year and a half or so. And this relates to the, to the longer term vision, and then I'll come to the, the short term vision. But what I have been thinking is that a mere political alternative is, is insufficient. Mere economic policy choices, different ones are necessary, but also insufficient. Mere public pressure on the government, again, necessary, but insufficient. What I think we require now is nothing short of a new republic. And therefore, like you say, the past is, is unpredictable. The moment that we are in is not the story we think it is, which is this journey towards democratic utopia. What we're in now is, 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 is a transition period between a republic which bears similarity to the old republic, and one which gestures towards the new republic. And we need to summon the wherewithal to actually create that new republic out of this republic. Certain aspects of this republic should be taken into the next republic, such as the democratic features, the features of accountability, and the importance of some definition of the rule of law, which is an expansive rather than a contractive definition, I think are important, depending on how we define that. So I think, it, I think it's a constitutional democracy. Of that, I'm fairly... It's a constitute. Let me say constitutional democracy rather than rule of law. I think it's a constitutional democracy. And I think our experiments with constitutional democracy have shown us that that is a valuable uh, and a precious thing worth preserving. But that doesn't mean this constitutional democracy is the only one we can ever have. And so it feels to me like until we take a look at how we constitute the entire republic itself, everything from, from uh, the way we elect to the way we account to the actual separation of powers itself, to the provincial structures and this messy thing we have between national, provincial, and local. Actually take a step back, like we did 
in 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 probably worse conditions in the in the transition between the 80s and 90s and constitute a new republic out of out of out of old we have the legal minds to constitute that we can assemble them and of course that's also not sufficient but that's necessary with all the other things which is a new policy direction a new urgency uh, a shift total shift in economic policy um, and unless we do that i agree with you this 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 arrangement is 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 going to go up in smoke sooner or later um, so either either we imagine the new republic and we create it or we we suffer the the price of our failure of imagination but one thing is for sure the status quo and this republic itself is is based on untenable foundations um, so that's the one thing for me how do we what should that new republic look like and what would a more just republic look like in the short term for me what i'm most afraid of is the replacement of political and social crises with military solutions so what what i would do is i would try at the very least to, to turn down the authoritarian impulses what does that mean it means the president has to take questions we can't have a a one way authoritarian way of communicating in this emergency it also means that the deployment of the military is is a poison chalice and we are solving a short term problem with a with a bigger long term problem and i would caution caution the use of the military and even the police i wouldn't i wouldn't actually deploy the military but if the military is deployed what i would be saying is absolute and utter caution is necessary because the last thing we want is for state repression to now become part of this mix and then to militarize the resistance to that um so those would be my 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 additional thoughts to add on to yours goko two years ago i said to you south africa is in need of a new revolution Mm. Talk, talk about 